Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from Psalm 103, 1 through 14. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thanks, Adrian. Well, good morning again. We're so glad that you are here this morning, especially if you are newer, or maybe this is even your first Sunday with us at Christ Community. We're really glad that you've joined us and uh, hope you felt warmly welcome today. My name's Bill, if I haven't met you, and I'm one of the pastors here. And before we jump into looking at this passage uh, that Adrian just read for us, I wanted to highlight a resource that we've had around for a while, but maybe either you've done it in the past or maybe you've seen these, but you're not quite sure what they are. It's called the Form.Life, and you've probably seen these journals uh, that go along with each sermon series. They're kind of at the ends of the aisles, but there's more to this than just the journal. Uh, there's the Form.Life is a website, so if you type in the Form.Life uh, to your web browser, it will pull up a website. And it's just a way of helping to cultivate kind of spiritual habits, spiritual disciplines. Uh, and it's set up to, in this instance, to help you prepare for what's coming on Sunday. And so if you were doing the form life this week, you would have been spending a lot of time reading Psalm 103, which we just heard read. And there's even a place here, this is kind of the discipline of study, this uh, session, uh, where there's a, a whole thing that helps you to look at how do I sort of mark up a psalm and understand what it's about and kind of have time to reflect on that. But it's not just a booklet. There's also, again, on the website videos that connect you to places like the Bible Project or even um, original kind of music video recordings from our church uh, music team of different Christmas carols, that kind of thing. So if you've not engaged with the form life in the past, I'd, I'd encourage you uh, in this season, and then, you know, we'll begin a new series in the first of the year to pick that up and to make that a part of uh, your kind of regular time with Jesus each day. So I uh, just wanted to highlight that resource. Again, if you're newer and hadn't seen it before, maybe you've seen that in the past, but it's been a while since you've picked it up. Well, now let me pray for us. Prepare our hearts, O oh God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voices but your own, so that we may hear your word and also do it. We pray this through Jesus Christ our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, has anyone seen the new Will Ferrell, Ryan Reynolds uh, Christmas movie that's on Apple TV Plus? Uh, Spirited, it's kind of an updated modern retelling of the Charles Dickens classic, A Christmas Carol. And, and in this uh, film, you have, uh, you know, a funny, goofy Christmas movie. That's what you expect with Will Ferrell, right? That you've got a funny, goofy Christmas movie. But 
I went in expecting that. What I wasn't surprised, what I was surprised by, what I wasn't expecting when I walked into this film and watched it was the profound tension that really drives the plot of the movie forward. And it all revolves around this question, and that is, are some people unredeemable? Are there some people who are unredeemable, who, who can't change as hard as they might try, who are stuck and they can never truly be redeemed? And in one of the most poignant songs in the film, and yes, Spirited is a musical, uh, they, they mostly pull that off. I mean, I don't know if Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell are singing as their first thing, but they pull it off. In one of the most poignant songs of the movie, Will Ferrell, as Ebenezer Scrooge, wonders if he's really changed or if he'll always be the person he was. Is he too far gone? Is he unredeemable? I wonder if you've ever asked that question or felt that way. Am I unredeemable? Uh, I mean, listen to those words again that he sings. Am I forever unredeemable? Uh, can I be the man who breaks from a lifetime of mistakes? Can my worst be left behind? And do I deserve to find the kind of love that I could lean on every day? Or will I learn I have to stay forever unredeemable? And I think faced certainly with our worst moments in life, we can ask that question. Uh, but also, maybe just in those kind of day-to-day bad habits or self-destructive practices, we just ask, am I, am I really capable of changing? Am I really redeemable? Am I really, is it really possible for, for me to find a, a love that is worthy, that I can lean on every day? And, you know, when we turn to Psalm 103, we actually discover the words of a man who wrestled deeply with those questions. In fact, um, the one who wrote Psalm 103 is someone who, um, well, I mean, this is, you know, he, he stole another man's wife. Uh, he used his power and position to take advantage of a woman and got her pregnant and then had her husband killed to cover it up. And yet this man, the ancient Israelite king, David, comes to the conclusion that not even he is unredeemable. And speaking to himself in Psalm 103, he's, he's addressing himself, he's speaking to his soul, he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, who redeems your life from the pit. But how can David have the confidence, have that kind of confidence to declare that in Psalm 103.4 that he has been redeemed from the pit, that he's been redeemed from death and despair? And that's what we want to explore together today as we continue in our Advent series called The Promised King. And in the season of Advent, Christians are doing two things. One, they're preparing to reflect on Jesus' first coming on Christmas. And they're also reminding one another that we are still waiting for our king now to return a second time to restore all things. So Advent has a, has a backward looking to Jesus' first coming, and it's also an anticipation of his second coming. And each week in this series, we've been looking at a psalm that reveals something about our once incoming king. And last week, we considered the king's character, and this week, we are going to remember the king's rescue, his redemption, the promise that People like you, people like me, people like David can indeed be redeemed. And so in Psalm 103, David expresses his confidence in this 
promised king's rescue using three poetic images, at least three that we want to dive into this morning. So I want you to take a look with me. If you grab your pew Bible and open that back up to Psalm 103, pull it up on your phone, I'd love for you to follow along with me here. And David expresses his confidence that no one is unredeemable, that no one is beyond rescue, because first of all, this king's love for us is so high. That's the first poetic image we get. It's a spatial image. This king's love for us is so high. It's a a spatial metaphor that describes this king's love for his people. This is verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. For as high as the heavens are above the earth. That's, that's how high this king's love is for his people. Now, it would be a, a misreading of this poetic image to, to go to the NASA website and, and then, you know, to calculate how many hundreds of miles of, of atmosphere there are between sea level, and you get to the edge of outer space, and then, real, okay, so God loves us 372 miles high. Like that's, that's not what David wants us to do with that image. Because you remember... I mean, it's only been within the last 100, 120 years that humans have been able to fly. It's only been within the last 50 years or so that we've been able to have the capacity to send rockets or humans off of this planet up into outer space. For the vast majority of human history, humans are like really firmly like stuck on the ground, right? Like if you wanted to get up into the heavens, into the sky, I mean, you could climb a tree, you could climb a mountain, but that's about as high as you're going to get, Right? And so the point of this image of, of the heavens is higher than the earth, that this is how great God's love is for us, this is the idea of it's an incalculable, it's an, it's an inexpressible amount of his love. And, and here's the idea, too, is that this king's love, it isn't just a warm feeling toward you. It's his steadfast love, his hesed love which is God's covenantal, his loyal love, that he has actually bound himself to his people with a promise that he will be faithful to himself and his promises to them even when they had abandoned him. Even when they walked away from him, didn't want anything to do with him, he promised that yes, there would be judgment, there would be hardship that would come, but that he would always have a remnant, that he would always be about bringing hope to his people. That he would woo us back to himself and and that he would cause us in the language of the psalm to fear him. Again, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. But you may be thinking now, our, our love and fear, those can seem like incompatible ideas. But I want to read you a quote from Michael Reeves who wrote a a wonderful book called Rejoice and Tremble, The Surprising Good News of the Fear of God. He describes it like this. He says, I think I've got to say, yeah, for the nature of the living God means the fear which pleases him is not a groveling, shrinking fear. He is no tyrant. It is an ecstasy of love and joy that senses how overwhelmingly kind and magnificent and good and true God is, and that therefore leans on him in a staggered praise and faith. The kind of fear that the psalmist is talking about is is a fear that says that God is, he's so magnificent, so glorious that he completely controls me. 
And, and if we just read in the psalm itself, it, it's clear that David's not terrified from God in, in kind of a tyrant sort of way, far from it. In fact, when you get to verse 13, there's parental tenderness here. David describes God as a father, verse 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. But not only, and this is, I think this is fascinating, not only does David use fatherly image here, he also uses motherly image here to describe God's care for us. Because the word that's translated twice in that verse is compassion is rooted in the Hebrew word that means womb. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. The idea is that this is the sort of tender compassion that a mother has for the child that she has carried in her womb. That that's how God feels towards his children. He feels like a mother caring for her child who she has carried in her body. This deep tenderness and love. David is confident of, this, confident of this rescue because of how high this king's love is for us. But he's also confident that, that, that no one is unredeemable. He's confident in this king's rescue because of how wide this king's forgiveness is. And this is where I want us to look at verse 12, where you see the, the wideness of God's forgiveness. So I actually want us to start reading up at verse 8 here, and then we'll, we'll build to verse 12. It says, The Lord is gracious, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in faithful love. And notice verse 9. It says, He will not always accuse us or be angry forever. So there is a, a response, a right response of justice and anger by God toward our rebellion against him. But he, he won't be angry forever. He has dealt with us, has not dealt with us according as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. And then, then the verse we just looked at, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. And then verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now again, notice verse 9 there, that God is not, nor can he be sort of a permissive babysitter who's just distracted playing on their phone while the kids are running around doing whatever they want. Like God cannot be, he, he loves us far too much to allow us to do that. And our sins against him, against others, against ourselves, are as one prayer of confession puts it, they are too heavy to carry. They're too real to hide, and they're too deep to undo. And he is rightly and justly angry at our sin, at the harm that it does to others and to us, at the, the affront it is to his glory and to his goodness. But here's the good news, is that he won't be angry forever. Verse 9, he won't always accuse. He won't be angry forever. Instead, he offers us a forgiveness that is unparalleled. A forgiveness that removes our sin, that takes our sin, that takes all of those things that we have done that we wish with all of our being that we could take back, undo, and he removes those things as far from us as the east is from the west. That's how wide his forgiveness is of us. Uh, when this king forgives you, your sin is put so far away from you that it can never, ever be used against you as a ground for accusation or shame, ever. It's done. It's completely removed. Now listen, though, that doesn't mean that our great enemy, who the Bible sometimes calls him the Satan or the Satan, which actually means the accuser, it doesn't mean that our, our great enemy won't still use those things. 
to try to accuse you, to try to bring shame to you. But your king's response will always be, that has been put as far as the east is from the west. Again, this reality won't mean that, that your boss or your friends or your spouse or your coworkers won't try to take those things in your life, in your past, and use them as a grounds of shame or accusation. But your king's response will forever and always be, that's been put as far as the east is from the west. And here's the real one. The, the one who's worst at accusing you and shaming you is often you. That your own heart, your own mind calls up those things, those moments that, that are so heavy that you can't bear them, that you wish you could do anything to undo, that are too real to hide and brings accusation and shame against you. But your king will speak in those moments and say, that's been put as far as the east is from the west. He will never cease to speak that over you. And no one is unredeemable who comes to this king. No one is beyond rescue who will give themselves to this king. This king's love for us is so high. His forgiveness is so wide. And there's one more image to see here, and that is David is confident that no one is unredeemable because this king's understanding of us is so deep. This king's understanding of us is so deep. Look all the way down now in the psalm to verse 13. Again, we've, we've read this. It says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. But why? And verse 14 gives us the answer. Why does he treat us like this? Verse 14, For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He knows our frame. He, he remembers that we are dust. This idea of him knowing our frame, is he knows what we're made of. He knows how we are made. In fact, you go back to Genesis chapter 2 and, and you watch God in that description of, of taking the, the dirt of the ground and forming the human out of the dirt of the ground and breathing life into him. This God knows, what, he knows how we are made. He knows that we are dust. He knows that we are dirt creatures. Our frailty, our, our humbleness, our weakness, our vulnerabilities. But here's, the, here's what's mind-blowing about Christmas. Christmas means that his knowing of that reality, knowing that we are dust, isn't a mere kind of cognitive or, or factual knowledge. It's much deeper than that. It, it isn't the kind of knowledge that says, oh, I know it's raining outside because I opened up the app on my phone and the weather app says it's raining outside. And that's one kind of knowing. And that's not the kind of knowing that's on display here. The kind of knowing that's on display here in Psalm 103, that's on display in Christmas, is the knowing that says, I know it's raining outside because I, am, I was out in it and I'm drenched. It's an experiential knowledge, an incarnational knowledge. It's why uh, that in the Hebrew Bible, this language of knowing is actually used as a euphemism for sexual intimacy, that Adam knew his wife and they gave birth to a son. It's an incarnational knowing. This king knows what it is to be human, to be weak and tired and sore because he became one of us. And this is the wonder of Christmas, that our king in heaven, without ceasing to be God in any way, took on human flesh, became a human being, 
That he's really and truly and fully human, even as he is really and truly fully God. And that the, the one through whom all things were made, the one in whom all things hold together, became a dust creature like you, like me. And that in doing that, he, he's forever made our bodies these incredibly glorious thing that, that the one who made us was, was not so far above us that he didn't become one of us, that he actually stepped into our lives in, in the most profound of ways by becoming a human being, and that Jesus has a body today, even now, that there is a human body in God's space. He knows what it is to be human. He grew in his mother's womb just like you and me. He was born just like you and me. He grew and learned just like you and me. He knows our frame. He remembers. He knows that we are dust. And he he doesn't just understand that from afar, but because he became dust with us and made dust forever glorious in a new and permanent way. So because this king became one of us, You can sense, you can know deep in your soul. You can know in your body, in your heart, in your mind that you are not unredeemable. And and we all, I think, wrestle with these questions on a regular basis, whether consciously or unconsciously, but we're asking the question, am I lovable? Am I really loved? Am I really forgiven? Am I really known? And because of what Christmas means, We can know the answer to that question always and forever is yes. One of our kids' favorite picture books is a a book called Mama, Do You Love Me? It's a a wonderful book. If you have kids, maybe you have this one in your library. Um, It's called Mama, Do You Love Me? I wish I had time this morning to read the whole thing to you, but I just want to read you a few pages because it captures so beautifully the truth of Psalm 103 the kind of love that this king has for us. And I have some pictures up on the screen. Begins this way. Mama, do you love me? Yes, I do, dear one. How much? I love what she says here. I love you more than the raven loves his treasure, more than the dog loves his tail, more than the whale loves his sprout. And then it book goes on, and this little girl, she continues to give her mom all these scenarios that are sort of like, would you love me if? And she says, what if I put salmon in your parka, ermine in your mittens, and lemmings in your mukluks? Then I would be angry. And what if I threw water at our lamp? Then, dear one, I would be very angry. But still, I would love you. What if I ran away? Then I would be worried. What if I stayed away and sang with the wolves and slept in a cave? Then, dear one, I would be very sad. But I would still love you. Then it ends this way. I will love you forever and for always because you are my dear one. That's how how the mother in this book cares for her daughter. It's how this king cares for you this motherly compassion, this tender love, this covenantal, loyal love that will never abandon you, that will never forsake you, that will always say, I love you. I may be sad, I may be angry, but my love for you will never 
cease. None of us can look at this baby born in the manger and ever doubt the answer to the question, is anyone beyond his rescue? The answer to the manger is absolutely not. But here's the thing, we forget, don't we? We forget. Because David, in writing this poem, in writing this song, this psalm, he isn't writing about something he didn't know. He's writing about something he knew and forgot. Right? That's how the psalm begins. Forget not all his benefits. He's, he's preaching to his own soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He's not writing about something he doesn't know. He's writing about something that he knows, but, but it's forgotten. And that's part of the reason we do this Advent season every year is to remember God's rescue. Because in Advent, we remember the King's rescue. And we were gathered here together on Sunday mornings in this room, and we're singing these songs, and we're hearing the Word of God proclaimed and taught and read, and we're encouraging one another. It, it, it's so much easier, I think, in a space like this to believe these things are true. To, to be reminded of the good news of Jesus' forgiveness and his love for us and, and all of that. But then Monday morning comes, and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, and it's easy to forget, isn't it? For all of this to feel unreal, to feel like a, a story or a fairy tale, for it to feel unreal, to simply be distracted by the stress at work or what's happening in the news or with your kids or just the latest YouTube or TikTok video that pops up on your phone to forget all his benefits. And we need, like David in the Psalm, to remind ourselves daily uh, even hourly, to bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits, because we're so inclined to forget. But how? What would that look like in your Monday life, on Monday morning? How, how could you start a routine, or a habit, or a practice, or a liturgy, whatever kind of language you want to use to describe that, but, but a regular practice of some kind that would help you to remember I want to share a couple that I've implemented in my own life, just to kind of get your imagination going around this. And I'll be honest, I don't do these things every single day. But I would guess, you know, upwards of 90, 95% of my days begin like this. That before I get out of bed, so I'm like sitting on the edge of the bed, before I stand up, I quote two verses to myself. The first one is Psalm 119, 94. It simply says, I am yours, Lord, save me. I am yours, Lord, save me. Sometimes I'll even just like make the sign of the cross with my thumb on my forehead just a reminder that I belong to him. I've been marked and sealed by the Holy Spirit. I belong to Jesus. I am yours, Lord, save me. And then I go to Psalm 118, verse 24. It says, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad this is the day the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Now, I will tell you, I often don't feel those realities when I'm sitting on the edge of the bed at 5.30 in the morning, whatever time it is, in the dark, and I'm tired, and I'm trying to get ready for the day. But that's the whole point, is that I know those things to be true, and I'm going to force myself to remember those things in that moment. I am not my own. I am yours, Lord. Save me. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Because we need to preach the gospel to ourselves in those moments that we're saying, you know, it's like, self, I know you want to go back to sleep right now. 
Self, I know you are worried and anxious about many things. Self, I know you want comfort and ease. But self, let me tell you what is true, what's really true. Self, you belong to God. He's your only hope for rescue. Self, he made this day. And you know what, self? Because he made this day, even though you don't feel like it, we're going to rejoice and be glad in it. God itself, that's how we're going to start this day. Okay, so those two verses get me out of bed. So now I'm standing up out of bed. But there's a few minutes in there between standing up out of bed and the coffee being made. And I'm just going to tell you, that time between standing up and out of bed and having that first sip of coffee is a perilous time for any soul, right? (laughs) And so I have another set of reminders that I go through as I'm making my coffee in the morning. And I have them written out on kind of a coffee-stained, battle-wearied note card uh, that I keep by the coffee. And there's six things that the late theologian J.I. Packer told himself every day. The first is, I'm a child of God. God is my father. Heaven, the, the new creation, is my home. And every day is one day nearer. My savior is my brother. And every Christian is my brother or sister, too. And again, I, I share those just as examples to kind of maybe animate your imagination about what, what could some practices like that look like in your own life. And I actually want to give you just a moment in the service to think about your own daily routine. Is there a reminder that you could attach to something you already do every day, like brushing your teeth or doing the dishes or starting the car in the morning that would help you to remember, that would help you to not forget all his benefits? Maybe you make a practice of saying the Lord's Prayer every morning before you open your email for the first time or reading Psalm 23 each night before you fall asleep. Or in this Advent season, I was just trying to think of ideas. Maybe it's something as simple as every time you turn on the Christmas lights in your house, you just say to yourself, Jesus is the light of the world, and I am not alone in the darkness. Jesus is the light of the world, and I'm not alone in the darkness. Maybe even just, maybe you have those words in your mind. Every time you see Christmas lights around, you're driving down Word Parkway, and you see the Christmas lights, and you say to yourself, Jesus is the light of the world. I'm not alone in the darkness. What might some of those practices be? Okay, so I actually want to give you a few seconds of silence here in a moment where you can just pull out your phone, open up a note or jot in your journal or note sheet, whatever, an idea that you have for how you could build a practice of not forgetting all his benefits. So let me just give you a few moments right now to do that. Hopefully you have an idea or maybe the beginnings of an idea that you've jotted down. I just encourage you, give it a try this week. Just attach it to something else you're already doing. <laughs> Making the coffee, brushing your teeth, something simple. It doesn't have to be a big profound thing, but it would help you to remember all his benefits. And if you do this and, and you try it out, I'd love to hear how it goes. Um, I'd love to, just send me an email, uh, billg at cckc.church. Um, our, all of our emails are on the website, but I'd, I'd love to know how it goes, or if there's something you discovered, this is really good, maybe I'll try it. Um, I'd love to hear how it goes. But the key thing here is don't let your soul forget. Don't let it forget that, that no one, not even you, is unredeemable. 
that no one is beyond rescue with our once and coming king. That his love for you is higher than the heavens, that his forgiveness of you is wider than the east is from the west, that his understanding is, is deeper of you than the deepest sea. He loves you with a steadfast, never giving up love, and he will always comfort you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm thankful for this reminder in this psalm of the love that you have for us, the love of a father, the love of a mother. Indeed, you've made us male and female to image who you are and your fatherly and motherly care and love and tenderness towards us that, yes, you're angry at our sin, but that you have taken on that sin on yourself so that we might be forgiven and set free and renewed and made new pray that as we continue into this week, out of the service, that you would help us to to be energized by the Spirit with these practices that would remind us of that, because we're so prone to forget. Keep us reminded of what's really true. Give us the courage to preach the good news to ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.